Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. Hey, would y'all give it up for the team and especially my man Matt, who is limping off with a broken foot, but still here this morning helping to lead us in worship. Thank you guys. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, team. Hey, and thank you for coming out on a cold day. Uh, There aren't a lot of places that can get from the 30s to the 80s in four days, but welcome to Central Florida. Uh, We get knocked for not having the four seasons. We're just cooler than everybody else. We can do them all in one week, the third week of January. So that's what's going on here. Um, Again, just thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to jump right into the text uh, this morning. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. If you are new or you've not been here for a little while, we've been kind of methodically going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. It's really a letter written by the Apostle Paul, early church leader, to a church in Corinth. So we're in Horizon West, 21st century. This is a church in Corinth, Greece, 1st century. Uh, and they're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. There's not a lot in print, almost nothing. Um, and they're new to this whole thing. And so Paul is going to unpack that for them. But before we get to what is penned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to talk about the man who penned the words we're going to look at together today. Paul originally was named Saul. It's his Hebrew name. He's a Jewish man born in Tarsus, which is in modern Turkey. Um, and Saul was a very interesting individual. Became a, a highly educated and high-ranking leader in Judaism, what was called a Pharisee. He was also a Roman citizen and very familiar, very well acquainted with Greek language, culture, and philosophy. So this is a well-educated, well-traveled, well-respected man. But the most important thing about Saul's history is that he was a man who hated the church. A man who actively opposed the spread of Christianity, even to the point of imprisoning, and at least on one case, if not more, approving of the execution of Christians. Which leads me to a question about Saul who became Paul. What could cause a person with that resume and that reputation to suddenly make an about face and become the leading voice in Christianity in the first century? Something had to happen. And the answer is not a a provocative sermon, not even a, a friend that came into his life and helped him understand things. What happened for Saul was that the man who was crucified in Jerusalem, Jesus, appeared to him on a road to Damascus. And when Saul realized that the man who he knew had been killed was alive and speaking to him, it changed everything for Saul, more than just his name, which became Paul. From that moment on, Paul threw himself into not resisting the spread of Christianity, but being its chief and its champion. And the reason, very simply, was that he came to realize that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Most scholars believe that 1 Corinthians 15, the entire letter, and including chapter 15, were in print before any of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is possible that Mark predates 
Corinthians, which was written around 54 AD, about 20 years after the death of Jesus. But even if the Gospel of Mark was written, it is likely that it was not widely circulated just yet. And so, as the Corinthians are receiving Paul's teaching on the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the first time they're seeing it in print. They've heard rumors, but this is the first place, perhaps, in all of Scripture where somebody wrote down the record of it. And so, as those Corinthians went through the stuff we go through, life challenges, stressful relationships, difficulties in our work or in our marriage, they can come back to a written record of a Jesus who is not dead, but is alive, and in that they can have hope. And so may we also. So I want to talk just for the next 20 or 25 minutes about four aspects of the resurrection that appear in the second half of of chapter 15. First being the science of resurrection. Let me read beginning at verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but simply a kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And the glory of the heavenly is of one degree or kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory for the sun, one glory for the moon, one glory for the stars, and even star differs from star in glory. Paul is going quickly through a a science class on why resurrection can be believable. He starts with the skeptic who's saying, oh, so, so people live forever after their bodies die. How does that work? And I, and I imagine these folks snickering at us foolish Christians who believe in a resurrection. And Paul turns the tables, says, just look at nature. If you want a plant in your garden, if you want a tree in your backyard, what you put into the ground is simply a seed. Because you understand from nature that that seed, as it is watered, as it receives sunlight, and oh, by the way, as it dies, becomes something very different. It's not a wholly different element, but it is transformed from seed to something like this, a a plant that in some cases might even produce vegetation. If it's a tree, could produce fruit. It doesn't begin that way. It becomes that way. In other words, it's possible for a physical entity to experience radical transformation. The same is true of the human reproductive system. We don't, and all of you women who have born children will say yes and amen, we don't come out of the womb full grown. (laughs) It's an absurd picture. We go through constant metamorphosis and, and change and transition from embryo to infant to toddler to teen to eventually a full grown human being. Or the illustration I love to use with children, the butterfly starts out as a caterpillar, has to go into the cocoon. What emerges, if you didn't know the science of it, you'd go, those are two completely different creatures. Actually, they're not. The same essence is there, but the body is transformed from something that crawls on the ground to something that flies through the air. And in each case, the final result, the final body, is far greater in both form and function than the original. And Paul wants to drop this idea. Don't think it's so absurd that these bodies could merely be the seed 
and that God raises up something even greater in the days to come. So that's number one. Second, he says, it is evident that not all physical bodies are of the same magnitude, or his word is glory. Paul points to human beings who have one kind of body, animals, probably thinking mammals here, who have another kind, fish, birds, they're all different. And it points to the infinite creativity of God. As we think about human beings and fish and birds, you know, one of those three can soar through the air on wings. The others cannot. One can swim through the water because of its gills and not have to come up for air. The others can't do that. And one, human beings, can solve math equations and write poetry and cook meals and wrestle with God. The others don't do that. And there is a reason. Paul is debunking the false notion that this current body is all there is for humans. If you don't have this body, that's all there is. When it dies, you're done. And creation would tell us, no, God has infinite power and ability to to make bodies out of nothing. He made ours from dust. Could he not make us a new one the same way? And then Paul uses another illustration also embedded in the text. He talks about both heavenly and earthly bodies. And these things are of different kind, different degree, different glory, so to speak. If you've had the chance to travel out west, you've probably stopped in Colorado or spent time there. Some of you have lived there. And you know that the Rocky Mountains are one of the most beautiful places on the planet, my opinion. But I don't even think they scratch the surface as being as impressive as the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. Some of you have had the chance to go, that's bucket list for me. It's because you go, wow. I thought that was cool, but wow. We live between the Atlantic Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean and uh, our Gulf, and, and so most of us have experience with the ocean. We look out, can't see anything but horizon for miles and miles, far beyond the human ability to see, and we go, the expanse of the ocean is unbelievable, but it pales in comparison to the expanse of our Milky Way. There's no comparison. It's like you thought that was cool. Look what God did over here. At least once a year, I remind you of the time that I was in Uvalde, Texas on a retreat with some other pastors and, and we were taking communion and, and I look up and I see this kind of wisp in the sky and there's just stars everywhere. Things you don't get to see a lot of in Orlando. And I was like, man, what's that? And one of the guys goes, man, that's the outer rim of the Milky Way. That's what we're looking at. It's like, What? It's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing when we think about the expansiveness of God. If there is a God, certainly there are things that are possible that our human minds can't understand. I learned this week that that there's a star called U.Y. Scuti, and it is the largest known star, the largest one we've identified, and it is 1,700 times the size of our sun. The the radius is 1,700 times the size of our sun. I showed this picture to my son Jonah, who's seven, And he just gives me this look like, Dad, (laughs) like you're kidding me. You're making this up. I'm like, no, that's the sun. He's like, that's not real. I said, no, this is real. This is actually, and I said, and and not only that, Jonah, I said, do you see that little dot? If you, you might not be able to read it. It says our sun. That little dot, our earth, our planet goes around this thing and you wouldn't even be able to see it on there. It's not even a crumb in scale compared to the sun. And the wheels, like you see the wheels turn, it's like, man, It leaves us saying with the psalmist, the heavens declare the work and the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The glory of what God has created 
is unreal. Let me go to number two. After unpacking the science of resurrection, Paul's going to talk about the theology of resurrection. Beginning at verse 42, chapter 15, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable or destructible, but what is raised is imperishable or indestructible. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. And that's why it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that's first, rather the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, like theology sometimes is, this requires some unpacking. So what, what, Paul, what is Paul getting at? Is this imperishable, perishable, honor, dishonor, Adam, second man? What, what is all of that? I said last week that Paul's entire view of the history of humanity and the place of Scripture in our lives is that of a struggle between life with God and death apart from God. When you open up your Bible and begin reading Genesis chapter 1, the first thing you see in Scripture is a God who is creating life. The last chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, the last thing we see is a God who is inviting people back to life with him. And in between, beginning at Genesis chapter 3, we see a whole lot of people living in a world that is dying. Living in bodies that are dying. And the invitation of Scripture is that it begins and it ends with life. And so Paul uses the process of God's creation of Adam to make a point about resurrection. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We're going to leave that slide up for just a second because that word became, it's going to matter. I want you to notice the order that Paul understands. He, he perceives something about the creation. He says, first, the physical. First, the dust, dust is gathered. And then the spiritual. God breathes into the dust the breath of life. And so he says in Corinthians, as is said in Genesis, that first man became a living being. He wasn't a living being at first. He was just a collection of dust. But then God breathed. And the man became a living being. What was just a pile of dirt, God added something to. And what he added to the man was a soul. I believe that people know intuitively that they are more than just physical bodies. Now there are people who are atheists. I have at least one close friend who is an atheist. And, and there is a conversation to be had. But, but let me just say, I think intuitively... If we, if we don't get too deep in the weeds, just go ask the average person, does it make sense that we're just physical bodies? And the answer is no. And the reason that every generation throughout the world and every part of the world has believed in some existence of a divine being is because it is by nature that we understand it. And all you have to do is listen to a secular song 
extolling love and faithfulness and relationship to understand people know they're more than just flesh and blood. Or, or watch a movie that's kind of unpacking the complexities of human life of revenge and forgiveness and relationship and intimacy and go, man, we understand there's something different about people than there is about the rest of creation. Even as I was preparing this message, I want you to know I'm doing more than pulling together data points to make an argument. We live in a day and age where artificial intelligence can do that for us. But what AI cannot do is wrestle with what the ancient text means for those of us living in a modern world. What the words of Jesus mean for a 42-year-old man with a wife and three children living in the Horizon West community. How my experiences, they navigate the way and the life of God in a unique way that's for me different in some ways than it is for you. In other words, I'm recognizing as I prepare that there's a part of me It's not just having a physical experience, reading a text, typing on keys, but that there's a part of me that's processing that, analyzing that, considering that almost as if somebody else is doing it. That part of me and that part of you is your soul. And every physical experience you've ever had, driving a car, baking a cake, having a conversation with a friend or a spouse, there's that part of you that is present for it. And I just believe that squirrels don't have that experience. You know, like, that's what they do. Don't think about it. They're not going to therapy to try to sort it out. Like, they they just don't have the same experience. Trees, by the way, are also alive in a sense, and they're not reflecting on what that means for them, how good things were when they were a young tree and how hard they are as an old tree. They just don't do that. And the reason is that the breath of life is unique to human beings. Here's the point that Paul is making. If you have a human physical body, all of us do, then it is clear that you also have a divine spiritual soul. The two go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. One will eventually die and decay and go back into the dirt. Ecclesiastes said that's where we came from is dust and where we're going is dust. That's your physical body. But the other part of you, your soul, will live forever either in eternal pleasure with God or in eternal torment without him. A living soul cannot cease to exist. The the question becomes this, what, what determines my outcome? What determines if it's eternal pleasure with God or eternal torment without him? And the, the answer is, who have you hitched your wagon to? Whose coattails are you riding on? You want to ride on Adam's? Who, though God had said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, said, yeah, I'm going to try to kind of do this my own way. And Paul says, death came through Adam, and so death came to all man. You can follow Adam. In fact, all of us did. The book of Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul says, the the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the good news is, you now have a second option. You do not have to follow the first man to death. You can follow the second man, Jesus, to life. What the resurrection means for us is that not just one man conquered death, but that one man, Jesus, conquered death for all men and women and children so that as we follow him out of lives of sin, we follow him into the life that is truly a life, a life that never ends. Now this leads us to an understanding of the gospel that I hope for some of you will connect dots in a way that the gospel the story of Christianity, the message of Jesus, maybe never has before. 
Because as we read these, I'm conscious of a dilemma that faced humanity. Because flesh and blood committed the sin and rebellion against God, it was flesh and blood that had to make payment for that sin. God, being a holy and righteous judge, can't look at the offense and go, you know what, it's just not that big a deal. I'm going to give you a pass. Someone had to pay the price for the sin of mankind, and the person had to be a flesh and blood person, or else it wasn't truly a sacrifice. The problem is that the sin is so great, when we sin against God, against a holy and infinite God, there isn't a person in the world or the collective of all of humanity that could make a sacrifice great enough to satisfy the penalty for that sin. It is an infinite sin. It needs an infinite sacrifice. Enter Jesus, the one who is truly man, flesh and blood, hungered, wept, grew tired and weary, interacted with people, spoke, a flesh and blood man who could represent us on a cross as our sacrifice, but also a God-man, fully God, divinity, the Son of God, who could represent to us what God is like. That's why 1 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what the death and resurrection means for us theologically. As we move to the next aspect that Paul is going to wrestle with, we're moving from head to heart. Because as excited as I get about the science of resurrection and the the theology of resurrection, what Paul is going to do is he's going to move from head to heart, or in other words, from information only to inspiration. He's answering the question now, what does that mean for me as a follower of Jesus? And here's what it is, the third aspect, the hope of resurrection. Go back to the text with me at verse 50, and here's what it says. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Look, I tell you a mystery. We, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written by the prophet Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing here is providing a word of hope for a people who desperately needed it. As rocky as things were for the church at this point, they don't know what's coming. They don't know that this new emperor of Rome, this new Caesar named named Nero, is going to create a whole lot of havoc for the church. He's going to throw them into the arenas to be eaten by by, by wild animals. He's going to burn them on light poles. He's going to blame the fire of Rome on those pesky Christians. He's going to do everything in his power to destroy it. And Paul's saying, but there is hope because there is a resurrected Jesus. He says, now this is a mystery, but here is the mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but rather we'll all be changed. 
my mom, uh, growing up, she was the person that kind of ran VBS and taught in the kids space. And if you know Nikki, you're going, oh, I see where, why you married a woman like that. Because my mom was just so invested and involved in the church. She gave her time, her energy, her prayers. And, and my mom loved children. And particularly, she loved babies. And so she had seven of them. And so, uh, but she would, she would serve in the nursery. And uh, small church, small town. And so you could get away with doing stuff, but, but she created a needlepoint craft that hung on the walls of the nursery. And it was a verse with some safety pins needlepointed around it that said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It's for babies. <laughs> My mom wasn't like the funniest person in the world, but I love to reflect on the places where her humor and her wit found an outlet. And she knew, as you do instinctively, The verse isn't about changing diapers and taking naps, right? Paul's saying, here's the mystery. We're not going to sleep. When your natural life comes to an end, when you breathe your last, you don't go to eternal unconsciousness. When you take your last breath in this body, you breathe your next in heaven with Jesus. You go from life to life. We're not going to sleep. We're going to be changed we're going to be transformed. In other words, this is the, the outcome, the, the end game for those who are followers of Jesus. We get a new or a resurrected or sometimes called a heavenly body. And that body will never decay. It will be like our soul, an eternal uh, entity that we live within to the glory of God for all the rest of time. Now, this illustration is not mine, but I'm going to borrow it. I like to play softball on Thursday nights. This used to be called a baseball glove, but I don't play baseball anymore. So this is my softball glove. And I got a team of guys. Um, they're great guys. We're not great at softball, but we have a lot of fun playing it. And every Thursday night, I put on my softball glove and I compete. And I do my best to revive 17-year-old Chris, much to my chagrin, that doesn't often happen, but, but it's what we do. And then when the game's over, I take the glove off throw it in the garage, and I move on. We, we live in a world that looks at our outer bodies and goes, oh, I, I know him. He's that, that brown glove that shows up on Thursday nights. And she's the, the woman that works over there, and, and she has blonde hair, and, she's, and, and he's the guy that's in that house, and we, we think of each, ourselves and we think of each other as mere physical entities. And Paul's point is, Eventually, the glove of your body will come off. What is left? And what is left is the true part of who you are. When I take that glove off, it does not change who I am. It has served its purpose. It's functional. It's temporary. It is not me. The same is true of surgical gloves. You put them on to keep you, maybe if you work in the medical community, you you put that on to keep from bacteria and germs. And then when the surgery is over, you take the gloves, you throw them away. If you're baking a cake and you put on the oven mitt so your hand doesn't burn, when you pull the cake out of the oven, you set it down, you take the glove off and you put it away. It doesn't change who you are. And the point that the passage is driving to is who you are is your soul. The outer body is not all that you are. There is something more. And when your natural life ends, you get a new body to replace the old. One day, the glove will be as the hand is eternal, forever, good, beautiful, and undecaying. 
And when that wonderful day comes, we who follow Jesus will say with the prophet Isaiah and with the apostle Paul, and all who call on the name of Jesus for their salvation, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, let me just take a moment of honesty with you. I had the opportunity this week of walking with a family who's lost a loved one, a child who's lost her dad, younger than me. Paul says, death, where is your sting? And I go, it did sting. It stung when my mom was taken from me at 18. It's, it stung when we lost people from this church community like Susie and Elaine, like Tyler and Jared. It stings. How can we say, death, where is your sting? And here's why we can say it. Because death still hurts us, but it doesn't destroy us. If you have lost a loved one, they knew Jesus, that, that hurt, that pain, that's going to keep coming back to you. There may be days where it feels overwhelming, but, but here's the good news. It may sting, but it is not the end. You don't grieve like those who have no hope, Paul says, because we understand that Jesus has raised from the dead and we who are in him are also alive, even those who have gone. They're more alive than they ever were before. And we have this hope. We have this living hope for one reason, because of Jesus. So here's what's going to happen next in our service. We're going to sing a song together. It'll be familiar to some, maybe not all. The song is called Living Hope. And then after that, we're going to share communion together. If you're not initiated to church talk, that, that's simply uh, the body and the bread of Jesus in the form of, of a wafer and a drink. It's a symbolic representation that we believe that the one who died was raised to life again. And so we're going to take the elements together. And then after communion, I want to get to the end of 1 Corinthians 15 because I've left one verse to go. And I think we need that last verse to remind us of what is next for us, what God has called us to. So church, I'm going to ask that you stand with me and with our team and let's sing together. If you believe this, if Jesus is for you, your living hope, then you sing out, don't worry about being on key, worship the Lord together with me. Hey, uh, church, stay standing, stay standing with me if you would. Um, I want to take the communion together with you. I want to invite us into that moment. Um, and so we'll stay standing through that. If you did not get the elements for communion and you would like to participate, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's the only prerequisite. It doesn't matter how recently you sinned or didn't sin. It's recognizing the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. If you'd like to participate, don't have the elements, would you lift a hand up? And we've got some folks that can come around and make sure nobody misses out that wants to participate. Um, and so we'll take just a second for that over here as well. And, and while, while they're doing that, uh, let me just remind you of what many of us have heard time and time again. In fact, every generation of Christians in every part of the world, we do a lot of things differently. This is one thing we all do. Jesus said, when you take the communion, when you take the elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, do it in remembrance of me. And so we do. We eat remembering the body of Jesus. We drink remembering the blood of Jesus. And the reason we do this, the reason we celebrate this, 
is for the reason that he did not remain in the grave. It's not good news unless on that third day he breathes again. Thank God that he did. So I want to ask you to do this. Would you take the, the bread? Would you take the wafer? Would you just kind of hold it in your hand for a moment? And before you eat, and before you drink, would you recognize the body of Jesus that was broken for you? What you could not do for yourself, Jesus willingly did on your behalf. He is our living hope. And so we eat and we drink remembering Jesus. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that where our first father, Adam, failed in the garden, Jesus, you succeeded in your garden when you said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me, yet not my will but yours be done. We thank you for our hope. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I want to take just a few more minutes with you. Typically, we would just say, you know, the, the final things and send you out, but we're actually not done with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would give me five more minutes, I want to get to a fourth point, an important point that Paul gets to, and that is the result of resurrection. Uh, here's what it says in verse 58. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The beginning of chapter 15 and verse 2, Paul hints that perhaps the Corinthians have believed in vain. Perhaps their faith is wasted. And he ends the chapter in verse 58 by saying this, but I know that your faith is not in vain. And the reason your faith, Corinthians, and the reason your faith, Horizon West Church, is not in vain is because Jesus, who was dead, was raised to life again. We serve a living and risen Savior. So what do we do? We don't give up hope. We're immovable. We're steadfast. We go all in on this work of the Lord, knowing that it's not wasted. I think the message that Paul ends with here with the Corinthians is a message we need as well. Now those prayers that you've prayed for your children, be they young or old, those aren't wasted prayers. That those faith conversations that you're having with your neighbors, your friends, or family members, though for a time it may seem like they're falling on deaf ears, in the name of Jesus, it is not wasted. The hours that you spend turning a school into a church, into a school, crawling on the floor with toddlers, leading large group for children, teaching them songs, standing in the frigid cold, or in most cases, the hot, hot heat of Florida, under a tent, with a high five and a hug for a new attender, plugging cables, strumming guitars. What we do as a church family, it is not wasted. Our labor is not in vain. And the God who by his power raised Jesus to life is doing something among us that will far exceed what any of us can ask or imagine of him. The way forward is the way of life. The way forward is the way of resurrection. And God has his hand on us. God has his hand on you. So here's what we're going to do the next couple of weeks. We're going to put an emphasis on helping you who have not yet identified your place to serve on Sunday morning to do that. 
It's not the only place that you can serve. It's not the only time that you should serve. But we want to create opportunities where you can both identify and begin to serve on one of our Sunday teams. That could be our kids or student areas, our guest services team, our worship or tech team. Could be our setup and teardown team. But we want to, to put an emphasis on helping you to identify that. And so the next two weeks, what you're going to see is in the lobby, you're, you're going to see a, a, a kind of a special emphasis on making it easy for you to join a volunteer team. Or at the very least, easy for you to ask a question about that, to have a conversation with somebody who is currently a volunteer about what it's like on their team and how can I be a part of that. And so that's coming the next two weeks. If you came this morning to give, it's simply one of the ways that we abound in the work of the Lord. We know that everything that happens here happens because God has his hand on the church, but God uses the finite resources that we offer to do more than we could ask or imagine. So if you came to give and you're part of the Horizon West Church family, you can do that at 40777. Just text the word give there. And to those of you that are here for the first time, and I really want to personally thank you. I would love to see you after the service. I hang out kind of just outside of the doors, and I'd love to shake your hand, give you a high five. Thank you for coming out this morning. Uh, in fact, if you would, before you leave today, if it's your first time, would you text the word next to that same number, 40777? And it gives me an opportunity to just give you a text, an email, or a phone call, and let you know we're glad that you were here this morning. With that, I want to dismiss you with these words. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not wasted. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.